This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who died multiple times during the creation of this script. I already know that I will laugh, cry, squee, and have to have my fan at the ready tonight. And I'm Pravada. I think it's funny that you said you died because one like old timey way of saying orgasm in French is le petit mot, which is the little death. So, haha. <laughs> that song, I just died in your arms tonight. It's in reference to orgasm. Yeah. I am both dying and living for this. So if you're new here... Welcome to the beautiful chaos, but you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking, especially in this episode. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters, sometimes over longer periods of time than others, like in this episode using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this is just not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question. But we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Today, we are still in Thetis, but... Sadly, it is our last night in Skyhold. Outside, the cold scent of winter would be in our noses, the distant sounds of singing and drinking in the tavern in our ears. But in this room, nothing. No war, no inquisition. You're safe. You don't have to think or make decisions. All you need to do is trust and feel. You can trust him, can't you? That remains to be seen. All you can see right now is a giant wall of muscle crowned by two great horns, one intense eye glittering down at you. The only thing that's certain is that you'll leave this room walking funny. We're riding the Iron Bull from Dragon Age Inquisition. I heard there's no marriage among the Kunari. Yeah, that's true. Kunari love our friends like anyone does, but we don't have sex with them. Kunari don't have sex? <laughs> oh, we definitely have sex. They're Tamasrins who pop your cork whenever you need it. Seriously? Yes. It's not a big deal like it is here. It's like, I don't know, going to see a healer. Sometimes it's this long, involved thing. It takes all day, leaves you walking funny. Other times, you're in and out in five minutes. Thank you. See you next week. So, you've never really made love. Connected with someone in both body and soul. I don't know. 
one time they used this thing called the Sato Nerapan. It's a leather-wrapped rod on a harness. That wasn't really my soul. Also, there were more than two people. <laughs> I'm probably going to laugh after every single one of these clips. It's going to be so hard for me to not laugh while they're playing. Oh, my God. <sighs> oh, the Iron Ball. His name is a legend amongst us bull riders, but he wasn't always named that. When he was a young Kunari and Palvalin, he was called Ashkari, meaning one who thinks. He was raised by the Tomasrans, meaning those who speak in Kunlat, the language of the Kunari. And it is a role held entirely by women. I know that I just threw a lot of words at you. It's okay. The Tomasrans are the ones who assign the roles to every follower of the Kuhn. The Kuhn is a vast thing, taking the form of the Kunari's religion, social structure, and political foundation all in one. And it's a little like the Roman Empire. You can be a Roman without being from Rome. That's why we can see Kunari, who are elves and humans. You don't have to be of the Kunari race to be a member of the Kuhn. It's impossible to glean the full teachings of the Kuhn from any one follower, because usually they only know the part of the Kuhn that pertains to their role. It is an answer to all questions, asked and unasked. It is unyielding. It is unbending. It demands full obedience. Such a totalitarian regime also demands enforcers of the code. And the role for that in the Kuhn is that of the Ben Hasrith. In Kuhnlot, Ben Hasrith means the heart of the many. But don't be tricked into thinking this is some cute, peaceful organization. They are the police of the Kuhn, essentially. They see rebellion against and discontent with the Kuhn as an illness that can be cured. Much like the KGB in Soviet-era Russia, the Benhasrath spy on their own people and on any foreigners they deem as threats to the Kuhn. They capture and brainwash people into accepting their fates in the Kuhn, which they call re-education, and they enforce their views with constant streams of propaganda. One day, Iron Bull, or young Ashkari, was kept back from the dining hall because he had only eaten the meat from his plate and not the vegetables. Sounds like something a kid would do. But the Kuhn abhors waste. The Tamasrans told him he couldn't go play unless he ate two more things from his plate. Honestly surprised that they play at all. He revealed two pieces of meat he had in his pocket, put them on his plate, and ate them. The Tamrasans recommended him for the Benhasrath because common soldiers needed to be totally obedient. He then started training for his new role, and while his size and distinctive horns would make him too noticeable to be a good spy, his easy demeanor and straightforward way made people trust him. They let things slip, and he'd pounce. He made quite a good spy after all. He was given a new name, Hisrod, or one who creates illusion, a.k.a. liar. 
As a young Ben Hosreth agent, he was successful in uncovering smuggling operations, stopping refugees from fleeing the demands of the Kuhn, and even a Tevinter spy ring for good measure. The Kuhn and Tevinter are always fighting, squabbling over which land will be dominated by which oppressive regime that day. His superiors looked to him as a valuable asset, and he was sent to Saharan, a Kunari-held island nation constantly bombarded by incursions from Tevinter, indigenous Saharan people fighting for their home and rampaging Talvashoth. Talvashoth are the true Grave Ones, or Kunari who have forsaken the Kuhn. Fighting on multiple fronts makes Saharan a terrible place to be, and the Ben Hasrath considered two years there the maximum time most agents could perform there before the stresses render them unable to continue. Hisrad, Iron Bull, lasted almost a decade, rising through the ranks as his superiors broke down or died fighting. Eventually, Saharan broke him too. There was a lot of fighting, some poisoning of his men and some children, and Hisrad went on a berserker rampaging, attacking a Talvashah stronghold in the jungle. When reinforcements later found him, he was unmoving, covered by wounds, and surrounded by the corpses of all the Talvashah warriors. He then submitted himself to the Ben Hasrath re-educators because he believed he was unfit for duty and a danger to civilians, asking to either repaired or destroyed, whatever the Kuhn demanded. Well, they managed to repair him, and he was eventually sent undercover to Orlay. Bull's mind was too sharp, his body too strong, to be wasted by the Kuhn by being destroyed. But hiding in plain sight as a supposed Tal Vashoth mercenary? It is at this point that Iron Bull really became a spy, or a member of the Dangerous Questions branch of the Ben Hasrath. It was during this time in Orlais that he formed his own mercenary company, the Bull's Chargers, that he still fights with during Inquisition. The Chargers were made up of fellow misfits, people who didn't fit neatly into Orlesian or Navarran society. They quickly gained a reputation for taking bizarre or seemingly impossible jobs and finishing them with style. Bull will tell you openly about just how much subterfuge and deception training he has received. It is this very openness about his past that will convince you to trust him, to relax your guard around him initially. Even now in the Inquisition, he still sends reports back to the Ben Hasrath, but his time in Orlais and living outside of the rigid world of the Kuhn lands has led to somewhat of an identity crisis for him. He drinks in excess, overindulges in food and sex, and lazes about, all clear violations of the Kuhn. In his own mind, what separates him from the terrifying Tal Vashoth he fought in Saharan is the regular reports he sends back to Parvalin. Throughout the earlier conversations with Bull, he will be open and willing to discuss anything you want to talk about. 
It's one of the first time we, as players, get some true insight into the world of the Kuhn. In Dragon Age Origins, we had the tight-lipped Sten as a companion, but he didn't really dispel any of the mystery. In Dragon Age 2, we met an Arashok and watched the Kunari besiege the city of Kirkwall, but it didn't really do anything other than cement the stereotypes about Kunari further in our minds. They are all just stoic machines working tirelessly and joylessly towards bringing the Kuhn to all corners of Theos, right? Then we meet Iron Bull, the boisterous bruiser, charismatic and charming, visually exactly what we'd expect from a Kunari, but otherwise the complete opposite. At this point, Iron Bull is really just a follower of the Kuhn and name and regular Ben Hosroth reports only. Is he still a Kunari agent masquerading as a mercenary? Or a mercenary deluding himself into believing he is still a follower of the Kuhn? His personal quest, Demands of the Kuhn, forces him to choose. You don't seem entirely happy about this. No, I'm good. It's, uh, I'm used to them being over there. It's been a while. I thought Kunari wanted to extend their reach to the whole world. Yeah, just didn't think I'd see it. Look, the Kuhn answers a lot of questions. It's a good life for a lot of people. But it's a big change. And a lot of folks here wouldn't do so well under that kind of life. I guess it's not like we're converting. This is just us joining forces against Corypheus. On that front, I think we're good. Pretty un-Kunari-like also. Not wanting the Kuhn to spread. But yeah, so the Ben Hasrath will only join forces with the Inquisition if you sacrifice Bull's chargers. So to romance him and have him in the Inquisition... You must first recruit Bull, but to be specific, the Inquisition can hire the Chargers and Bull by extension. You pay for him to be there, and he will tell you right off the bat how he works for the Ben Hasrath. Like we said, his openness is meant to disarm you, but he will also say how it works both ways. Whatever Ben Hasrath intel he can share, he will. Sounds mutually beneficial, no? But before you get any real intel shared with you, you must first prove your loyalty to the Kuhn. Or is it Bull having to prove his loyalty? Kind of both. The setup is this. Defeat some Venatory mages who are smuggling Red Lyrium with the help of a Kunari Dreadnought. Unfortunately, you must choose. Sacrifice the Dreadnought to the Venatory mages. Or the Chargers. Apparently, you have to just stand helplessly on the sidelines and you can't save both. <sighs> I think you could, in reality, but whatever. This is where Bull's path really strays. The game plays pretty much the same no matter your choice, but the subtext is vastly different. Before we get into the two different tarot cards, let's first talk about his standard one, the Devil. The Devil is part of the Major Arcana and comes after the Temperance card, which is Cassandra's Romance card, if you remember. And it's not a card you usually like to see in a spread. It represents seduction of the material world, 
and physical pleasures, and living in fear, domination, and bondage. The biggest lesson the devil teaches is that you can cast off your chains at any moment. The choice is up to you. Visually, the devil card shows Bull facing the viewer, with half of his face covered by an ornate skull. The right side of his face that is exposed is grim and almost threatening. The entire right side of his body, covered in a design reminiscent of the sharp angles of Parvalin architecture. The Kuhn literally covers him. His left side, however, is covered by the skull, but it's not looking out at the viewer, but towards his Kuhn side, his right side. In his left hand, he holds a bag of gold, representing his life as a mercenary. Looking at this card, which is the real bull? He doesn't seem to know yet. If you do not save the chargers, and instead bull remains loyal to the Kuhn, his card changes to the minor arcana card called the Ten of Swords. The Ten of Swords is kind of a bad card. It's a minor arcana card that represents rock bottom, essentially. It marks a painful yet inevitable ending. The demands of the Kuhn have caused every bit of his found family to be erased from the earth, and now all that's left is Hisrod. This card is visually very daunting and harsh, depicting Iron Bull marching with scores of other less distinctive Kunari, all holding banners depicting the same insignia. It looks like an ocean of red flying above them, and none of the Kunari's individual faces are easy to make out. Even Bull's face is faded, almost erased. This should be all the warning you need to understand that you have made a grave error if you hope to have a loyal companion, especially if you want to romance him. He's not loyal to the Inquisition, or to his chargers. He's only living for the Kuhn now. If you do save the chargers, and Bull is named Talvashoth, a traitor, his card changes to that of the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune is a minor arcana card that isn't negative or positive, but instead it is change. It represents karma, destiny, or a turning point. Are you poor? You might become rich. Are you Talvashoth? You might just become Kadan. This card looks very depressing, but its meaning is more positive than the Ten of Swords. Visually, it depicts Bull mourning the loss of the Kunari aboard the Dreadnought, his bloody right hand covering his face. In his left hand, he loosely holds the war horn that he blew to give the signal to the Chargers to retreat, which doomed the Dreadnought. The bodies of the Kunari lie at his feet, bloody, watery, their faces in the rictus of violent death. This card makes you question if you made the right decision. But we can assure you, you did. Realistically, the Dreadnought deserved to be sunk if they couldn't even fend off a few pesky Venatori. To claim Bull is Talvashoth all because he didn't want his mercenary group to be killed is totally ridiculous. I thought the Kuhn hated waste. Hope they're happy because they lost a good Ben Hosrath agent. 
probably the best, honestly. Honestly, like when when Gat, like the Elven Kunari dude, was like, "Yeah, they didn't send me to kill you because they didn't want to lose two good Ben Hasroth agents." Like, <laughs> sucks. I don't know. That whole thing is dumb, but that's how they framed it. So now, you know, he's Talvashoff. And also, I don't really know where to insert this next clip, but I wanted it in here. So here's my like clunky way of putting it in here. While Iron Bull's voice actor has unfortunately said some transphobic things on Twitter in the past, Iron Bull himself is canonically very inclusive. We're going to talk about Krem. Krem is not a romance option, so we aren't going to be analyzing him, but he is the first trans character in a Dragon Age game. Although he is commonly understood to be the first trans character in Dragon Age overall, that's actually not true and was pointed out to me earlier today by the best friend Eileen. There is a character named Mayveris Talani in the comic Those Who Speak. Those Who Speak, right? Wow, my brain just melted. I own it. It's on my bookcase. Anyway, came out in 2012. Mayveris is a trans woman, although it is never explicitly stated, like with Krem, just hinted at. And also in Dragon Age 2... There's a character named Serendipity, who is a male elf who was a sex worker and drag queen. She, at least according to David Gator and the Dragon Age wiki, is not trans, but a drag queen who, you know, when you're in drag, you usually use she, her pronouns if you're dressing up as a woman. Technically, she's a drag queen, but this rightly caused some anger amongst fans back then when that came out who saw Serendipity as trans, and because it wasn't made clear in the game that she is supposed to be a drag queen only, they saw this portrayal as callous and something to laugh at, like it was supposed to be funny or something in the game. Um, So it was kind of like just a mess. David Gator acknowledged it in a blog post of his ages ago, like eight years ago. But as for Krem, he is bull's second in command in the chargers and by all accounts nearly as badass as bull krem is super awesome and you can ask bull about him in random dialogue as for this dialogue it's out of pure ignorance or maybe slightly malicious intent i'm not sure headcanon what you will for your character because i didn't choose this dialogue but your inky can ask bull about krem in a blatantly offensive way personally so quick trigger warning for transphobic comments in this clip, but I did like how Bull handled this question in the context of Thetis. So I just wanted to put it in here because I think it's an important part of his character. Oh, and also side note, for most of the dialogues that we have tonight, our Inky is also a Kunari. So that plays some parts into it as well. You don't have any problems with him being a woman? He's not a woman. Look, you and I have to walk carefully so we don't accidentally break the furniture or the elves. We're probably not the best people to go around deciding what's normal. Krem's a good man. I don't give a nug's ass that it's a little harder for him to piss standing up. It's just the way that it is because it's the way that it is. And that's how Bull represents it. Krem is a man because Krem is a man. And I love to see that level of inclusivity. Okay, but eventually, after enough flirting has happened and his personal quest has been completed, 
bull finally acknowledges all of your flirty dialogue. He hasn't really engaged in meaningful and personalized way yet, but once he does, he finds you in your chambers and gives you an offer I definitely didn't refuse. So listen, I've caught the hints. I get what you're saying. You want to ride the bull. Can't say I blame you, but I'm not sure you know what you're asking. Not sure if you're ready for it. Oh, I'm ready for it. See, you say that, but you really don't know what that means. So why don't you show me? <gasps> Last chance. Won't you please stay? You walk back into your chambers, and Bull is just casually sitting on your bed. He wants to make sure you know what is about to happen. When he walks over, he doesn't enter your personal bubble until you confirm with a second romance dialogue option. Because consent is key. That delicious gasp from the Inquisitor happens after he takes both of your wrists in one hand raises them above your head and slowly backs you up against the wall. This is an act of dominance, but it is not aggression. And of course, once more, are you sure? And then, damn, have you ever heard such anticipation? Won't you please stay? Beautifully done. I loved this scene, and it did everything. <laughs> oh, we're so opposite. <laughs> this doesn't do it for me at all. Like, literally not even a little bit. I um, I'm also very vanilla. I don't know if you guys knew that. So I'm very unfamiliar with dominance and submission. But I can at least appreciate the consent here. I really, I do like that. That's something I've always heard lauded about the bull romance. But yeah, that didn't do it for me. <laughs> but here's where it could take a darker tone. In this episode, we're going to mainly be talking about romancing bull if we saved the Chargers. But remember, no matter what, his dialogue is the same in the romance. If you didn't save the Chargers, this takes on a much darker tone. When he says you don't, or when he says you really don't know what you're asking of him, from him, like, yeah, because he's for the cune. But we saved the Chargers, of course. So what this means is simply you're not versed in BDSM, or at least your Inquisitor isn't. Or me. Like, if you're me, I wouldn't do this, though. <laughs> Bull scares me. But before we get all tied up, we need to take a mid-break. So strap in, strap on, strap in for some fun facts, some ads, and thanking our lovely patrons. <laughs> How am I supposed to go into the mid-break dance after that? Oh my god. I love you so much. I love how fucking opposite we are in, like, everything. It's so good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean... I'm trying to come at this from like a art, art, like appreciating art from an objective point of view, but like I, 
I watched all his romance scenes. I've seen him before, but obviously I watched him again for writing this. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Demisexual little me. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm like, it's done so perfectly. I've had conversations like this. <clears throat> oh, okay. Anyways, yes. Mid-break dance. Oh, oh God. There's a really, really... Um, interesting song called the masochism tango that I could totally see Bull and Inky dancing to in their room. Uh, yes, the masochism tango. Let's go. Now, fun facts. Iron Bull is voiced by Freddie Prince Jr., who also voiced James Vega in Mass Effect. Yeah. And is probably best known for being in the movie She's All That. Oh, and he was in Scooby-Doo. So, and of course, being married to Sarah Michelle Geller. Weekly Buffy quota. Matt. <laughs> Gotta add it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, I added the James Vega thing in here because obviously we know. But my sister literally texted me earlier this week and she said, did you know? He voiced James Vega. I'm like, how did you not hear it immediately? <laughs> she right. Didn't know. So yeah, I had to put it in here just in case someone else doesn't know that. Okay, next fact: um, the Iron Bull romance was originally going to be race specific. I'm, I'm not sure if that meant only by Kunari. I think that's what that means, but I, that's how they worded it. Uh, it's go it was going to be race specific due to limitations with the cinematics because his body model was just too damn big. But luckily they figured it out so he could be the pansexual muscle bear everyone knows and loves. Okay. Uh, before I read my next fun fact, I would like to say I don't like it with the smaller body models. They are working on making it right. It, like future games and stuff like that other games that have multi-races and things like that have gotten better at it but we get to know the size of bull when our character is standing next to him or fighting next to him or doing anything like that i watched the dwarf romance and visibly you can see that they shrink bull down not necessarily to match the dwarf height but make it a little bit more even. Bull looked tiny in the scenes. And I'm like... Oh, so yeah, so allegedly so they so. had to scramble to make it work. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like the solution they came up with for the like problem. Because I'm sure to redo all that stuff completely new and accurate it probably would have cost a lot more. So, yeah. Okay, next fact. Iron Bull is pansexual because Patrick Weeks, the writer for Iron Bull, has clarified that Bull is pan. It's nice to actually have the word of God on this. Yeah, I like that too. To me, it's a natural headcanon, but I wanted to put that fact in here because a lot of people think he's bi, but he's clearly pan. Also... Uh, we were just talking about this with the body model thing, but the scene, if you saved the Chargers and the Ben Hasref send two assassins after Iron Bull, you walk in on him, like, finishing dispatching them on the parapets of Skyhold. 
So that is apparently not motion captured. I actually didn't even know any of Dragon Age Inquisition was motion captured, but apparently most other scenes in the game were, but not that one. They had no budget for it, apparently, so they just kind of had to piece it together in engine. And honestly, they did a good job with that one because, like I said, I didn't even know anything was motion captured for Inquisition. I'm sorry, Yuri Cat just blew my mind and said that Jennifer fucking Hale is the voice of Krem. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that either. I mean, that's because she's a great voice actress, so she's a chameleon vocally. Right? Okay, yep. Cass and Wynn agree. It's it's facts. Okay. All right. Uh, next fun fact. <laughs> Iron Bull chose his name with an article, a.k.a. The Iron Bull. Because he liked how it made him seem like a mindless weapon. Given his greatest fear is madness, guess he must assume others fear that berserker state as well. So he just lets them think he is in it all the time. Doesn't Cole always refer to him as the Iron Bull? I mean, it makes me sad that he wants to be viewed as a tool. Like, to me, that's just the cune coming out. You know, um, okay, wait, speaking of like Iron Bowl, because that's what we're doing. Apparently, he's the only Kunari to have his height canonically confirmed, and that is eight feet tall. He's eight feet tall. I'm five, yeah. six. I'm scared. I'd climb that tree. Okay, like but the old father intended. Nature <laughs> intended. My thing is, is, um, Okay, so he's huge for a Kunari. He's eight feet tall. I want to do the math just going off of like, what's the average penis size for a human proportionate to the average height? Then what would that translate to? Because that's terrifying. I don't, I don't, I don't think it can, that's scary. That's like, that's like wound inducing. Later on, um, I've done this math. It has been done. I will of go Of course back. you've done this math. <laughs> you know what? It's because somebody else asked the question before tonight. Um, <laughs> so the math has been done, okay? Um, later on, when I have a break in the conversation, I will go back and I will find my research. Okay? And I will answer the question because if I remember correctly, it's approximately okay. three feet. No. No. No, every sphincter I own just tightens. I'm scared. <laughs> um, oh, no, I'll take, I'll take my dainty elf. Thank you. You, you you'll take that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, damn it. Oh, it's your fault. Your words. <clears throat> also, apparently, he has quite the sweet tooth and loves hot cocoa. <laughs> Got to throw that in after this, I guess. First we're sour, now we're sweet. Um, also this. I wanted to put it in because I love me a good couple name. But uh, whatever your feelings are on the Dorian Iron Bull romance, their nickname as a couple is Adorable. Literally Adorable. I thought that was cute. Dorian Bull. Dory Bull. Yeah, that's cute. All right. Spotify, we have been stuck at a 168 review ratings for quite a while now. 
I wanted to be 169 by the end of the year. So that's one more person, one more lovely listener to drop us a rating. Please do so. And then we will be so close to our goal of 200. Also, if we were on your wrapped for the year, share it. Tag us on Twitter. Post it in the discords. Send it in a DM. Anything. Show me. There were like at least 30 of you who our podcast is number one on your wrapped. I want to know who you are. I'll shout you out if we're your number one. And another shout out goes to UteFan14 via Apple Podcasts. They are here in the United States and left the review on the 16th. Five stars. Can't get enough. Two girls, one ship. Found this podcast from listening to the Mass Effect Lorecast. Thank you. And had to come here next. Just finished the Solus episode and you both had me in tears. That romance was my first romance I ever experienced in a game since Dragon Age Inquisition was my first introduction into the gaming world. Nintendo of the 90s aside, keep up the amazing work. Oh, could you imagine if Solus was your first romance ever? <laughs> Welcome to AAA gaming and RPGs. Have your heart broken. <laughs> I'm so glad Alistair was my first. <laughs> I went gently into that good night. Yeah, I think for like of characters we've talked about, Caden really was my first romance. Yeah. Well, either way, <laughs> I can relate to your heartbreak. Thanks for being here. Sorry for your loss. Oh. Okay. And of course, we shout out our lovely, lovely patrons. So thank you, thank you to Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Daddy Bat Knight, Stone Mystios, Muffiny Cake, Mackenzie and Gwen. Thank you, thank you. Odd love. Mm, I'll say the big hearts major love because you did. But yes, all the same. Thank you for the support. Okay, Jen, <laughs> are you ready to get what you need? Not I, but you. <laughs> get what I need. Get what I want. <laughs> ah, can do, boss. When it's a hostile target, you give them what they want. But when it's someone you care about, you give them what they need. We're going to need to establish some rules. Outside this room, nothing changes. You're the Inquisitor. You're the boss. I will never hurt you without your permission. You will always be safe. If you're ever uncomfortable, if you ever want me to stop, you say Kato, and it's over. No questions asked. It's a little unnerving that you have this down to a system. Systems are comfortable. And my goal is for you to get very comfortable. Take me. Can do. <laughs> How am I supposed to do this? I know I have been waiting a literal 110 episodes to get here, but fuck me, man. There is no 
actual scene here. It fades to black right after Iron Bull says can do. They aren't even touching. Whatever. That's not the point. The point is, is that this is perfection. This is exactly what this discussion needs to be. Inky realizes that this is something she wants to explore more of. And Bull lets her know that her position outside the bedroom will never change. But boy, oh boy, will they be changing quite a bit inside of it. Building this stable foundation. Picking a word that lets you know you are safe and won't be pushed beyond your limits. And Bull knows those limits. At this point, your Inquisitor knows nothing about this and doesn't know what they like or don't like. So having a soft, hard limits conversation wouldn't work because as a player, we don't know these things. We get to explore them with the well-practiced bull. Because it's so detached, there's just no emotion at all. So, like, I mean, other than passion that that is an emotion but like there's no like connection because at this point bull does not know how to have sex that is love also there's no like connection beyond the physical at this point plus being told what i need by someone else is just not doing it for me i don't like i don't like that wording personally but i think this kind of system makes sense for bull he says systems are comfortable and they can be as long as you fall within the parameters. The Kuhn answers a lot of questions and keeps out the chaos, so they say. But despite his disarming and charming way, he comes from a very alien civilization. The Kuhn doesn't have families. Children are raised communally, and everyone's name is actually just the name of their purpose. They're seen as little more than tools. Sex is detached, even clinical. Bull says you go see what's essentially a healer, and laughs at the thought of having sex for love. Any bit of individuality, when not seen as an asset, like in Bull's case, is tortured or brainwashed out of them. No other culture is this serious in Thetis, and it's hard to wrap your head around it when these concepts are being mostly introduced by Bull, because he doesn't seem like he could come from there. And yet, it's possible that at this very moment, he's still loyal to the Kuhn. Even if he is declared Talvashoth, he doesn't view his people or the Kuhn with any animosity, because to him, he sees why his usefulness to them is over. He disarms you not only with his easy conversation, but also with the scene where he takes you incognito amongst the troops to see and hear what it's like for the little guys in the Inquisition, the cogs in the machine, he gauges your reactions and dialogue, but it's also meant for you to think, oh, look at Bull. He's devoted to the cause, even down to the lowest soldier. I think there's potential for a true romance here. But in the beginning, Charger saved or not, he's worming his way in close, specifically for the information potential, the intel. Where better to get information to feed to Parval and then straight from the horse's mouth? Or Inquisitor's. All right. The only person better at hiding the truth with half-truths 
is Solus. Bull and Solus are actually a bit of a foil to one another. Both are hiding their true nature, but where Solus uses his real name and hides his alter ego from you, Bull uses his alter ego and refuses to use his real name. Both will romance the Inquisitor despite their conflicting loyalties, but where Solus will break up with you no matter what in an attempt to save himself from lying, Bull will romance you no matter if he remains loyal to the Kuhn or not. The only hope for a true romance with Bull. One where he says is eventually the truth and he learns to love is one where the Chargers were saved. Solus cannot be swayed from his path. At least, not in the Inquisition. Despite being truly loving the Inquisitor. So, when listening to this clip, imagine Bull is a Talvashoth. It's a good clip regardless, but much better when we can fully believe the words coming out of his mouth. There we go. No Inquisition. No war. Nothing outside this room. Just you and me. So, what do you want to talk about? Sorry to disturb your rest, Inquisitor, but our fortif- Oh, sweet maker. Cullen, how's it going? Is the Inquisitor awake? I thought perhaps we- oh. This is actually a- um, uh, um, I- I'm so sorry. I cannot move my legs. Is something the matter? Oh! oh, for fuck's sake. Do you see this? No. So, I take it. Actually, she's the one who's been taking it. <laughs> I apologize for interrupting what I assume was a momentary diversion. Uh, nothing wrong with having a bit of fun. Who wouldn't be a little curious? This was more than just a momentary diversion, and Bull and I intend to continue. Is that a problem? No. Not at all. A surprise, I'll admit. But not a problem. We'll leave you be. Yes. Do enjoy yourselves. You okay, boss? I believe we may have blinded poor Cullen. But since we have a moment... What's that? A dragon's tooth. Split in two. So no matter how far apart life takes us, we're always together. Not often people surprise me, Kadan. Kadan? Kadan. My heart. Kadan. I can't. <laughs> I literally cannot. Oh my god, it was so hard to hold back the fucking laughter during that. Cullen's snort is seriously the best damn comedic moment in the entire series. I, 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 I loved it. I am both living and dying at the same time. <clears throat> now, earlier in the mid-break, I said that I would do my research and I would look it back up. I couldn't quickly find my own math, but of course, Reddit, thank you. You are here to my rescue. So I'm just going to read this out really quick because it's relevant to the scene. All right. Using, uh, let's see, using this uh, as a reference for an average Kunari and Iron Bull's height of being 79 inches, 
using that picture uh, from another user, Bull's penis looks to be about 65% of the way down his thigh, uh, based off of where Colin has to hold the clipboard. And according to his thigh accounts for 24% of height in humans, Bull's thigh comes to about 19 inches. 65% of that is 12.34. So Bull's flaccid penis comes in at 12.34 inches. Using a secondary site as reference, Bull's erect penis would grow about 50% to about 18.5 inches. Go. And like I said, that's not a penis. That is a weapon. Yeah. I'm scared. Yeah. I would still climb on it. The scene starts with the bull fully nude on his back, lying propped up on his elbows on his giant bed. The Inquisitor down by his knees, pulling their boots back on. Poor dear Colin walks in. And I want to rip the clipboard out of his hands. It is blocking the full glory of the Iron Bull. But if it is giving Josie heart palpitations, I don't know if the world could take it. At the end, though, the exchanging of the tooth, and the exchanging of the katans, my heart swells as big as the bull. The scene is comedic gold. I love it. I, like I said, it's great. You can actually ruin the moment here, though. If you choose the dialogue where the Inquisitor agrees that it was just a momentary diversion, it makes me so sad. He'll end the relationship if you do that. So don't pick that one because he's just like, well, obviously this is supposed to de-stress you and it's not working. So I guess I should stop. Um, and so don't be ashamed. Um Anyway, pick the one you just heard in this last clip. I do love how this scene started. Bull doing what he said he would, giving the Inquisitor what they need, a place of refuge in his arms and behind closed but not locked doors. It's funny that the door is not locked because they can walk in, but I think it's key that the door is not locked. Inky is there because they want to be. They consistently choose to be. And that brings me to Bull's Romance Tarot card. The Ten of Coins. The Ten of Coins, also called the Ten of Pentacles, represents permanence and satisfaction. It means that everything you have put your efforts into are finally going to pay off in the long run. Everything will work out well in the end. If the card is upright, if it's reversed, it can signal a sudden end and dissatisfaction. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, I think is for when you were romancing him and you didn't save his chargers. For sure. Visually, this card is sexy. It features Bull licking, kissing the Inquisitor's gloved hand. The two are bound together by green rope. Kinky. But we knew that already. The colors are in contrast. Blue on top, red on the bottom, showing the conflict within Bull going on in the background. Is he wrestling with being Talvashoth now? 
or is he secretly still loyal to the Kuhn? Either way, you can romance him. So both versions are represented here in the card. What's sad to me about Bull's romance is that all his goodness, his true nature of being a caregiver, has been warped by the Kuhn. He's been raised and trained to use those skills to manipulate and control others rather than simply care for them. Through a romance as Bull, not Hisrod, he can learn how to love and how to care for someone positively again. I think that's really good and special. This is one of the reasons that Solus and Bull clash so much, at least in the beginning, because to Solus, the Kuhn represents the worst that reality has to offer. There is no such thing as free will under the Kuhn. However, once Bull becomes Talvashoth, the banter between the two of them becomes much more cerebral and earnest. And you even get treated to a mental chess game between the two of them. Once again, Solus and Bull are foils, whereas Bull's crisis of faith is coming to a close as he accepts his new life as a Talvashoth. Solus's is just beginning. This scene is great because it's literally the ancient god of elven mischief against Bull. Perhaps not your average Kunari, but no deity. This chess game is also a move-by-move copy of one of the most famous chess games ever, nicknamed the Immortal Game, or the King's Gambit, played originally in 1851 in London. It's dramatic and romantic, the pinnacle of chess. And it also does a great job about telling us about these two characters themselves. In the game, Bull is a more cautious player, subtle in his approach, and he protects his pieces. It makes sense for a spy, but not for a giant reaver Kunari. He was never just his muscles, though. They are the least interesting thing about him, honestly. Solus, on the other hand, is bold and reckless, sacrificing his rooks, a bishop, even his queen and laying his final checkmate with his bishop, which he calls a mage. And two knights, but, you know, a ton of foreshadowing in this little party banter. I also just wanted to throw this banter in here, because I really like how Solus is showing how much his companions are meaning to him, especially Bull. The Iron Bull's greatest fear is becoming a mindless berserker like so many of the feral Talvashoth he has had to kill when he was Hisrod. Were they truly beasts, or were some like him, simply unwilling to submit to one demand of the Kuhn? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Bull? I figured you wanted to be Bull. Okay, so we have just a really quick dialogue in here between Solus and Iron Bull. So I'm going to read Solus, and Jen will read Bull. So it goes, You are not Talvashoth, Iron Bull. Not really. Well, that's a fucking relief. You are no beast, snapping under the stress of the Kuhn's harsh discipline. You are a man who made a choice, possibly the first in your life. I've always liked fighting. What if I turned savage, like the other Talvashoth? You have the Inquisition, 
You have the Inquisitor. And you have me. Thanks, Solus. Isn't that cute? It's very cute. Well, Bull's life is really starting to shape up for the better here. He has his chargers. He has the companions in the Inquisition. And most importantly, he has his Kadan. This next clip is for a female Kunari Inquisitor. But remember, this applies to any Inquisitor who chooses to romance him. She almost says the word sometimes. Kato. She tastes it in her mouth. Sweet release, a breath away. Tongue tying it tenderly, like you tie her. But she doesn't, for you, and for her, because it makes it mean more. A fuller feeling, a brighter burst. Yeah. <clears throat> How she feel about you saying this in front of everybody? If a rift opened up right now and swallowed me, I would be fine with that. Provided it tied you down first, one assumes. Ugh. <laughs> Soulless, oh my I god. I love it. <laughs> the sass from that elf. Oh, I love it. Cole is, is, uh, I, mm, the way that he says those words is like. Cole needs a filter. Must be hard though, as a spirit of compassion, like you're feeling everyone's feelings, and apparently theirs are very intense. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yes, we know the sex is good. He's also the only one whose romance option begins with sex only, and not a romance at all. He never flirts back in the beginning, and while he does eventually come to you. It's not with his heart bared. You have the power of consent to grant it or take it away. But otherwise, the power lies with him. He gives pleasure. He takes his. But it's all on his terms. As long as you don't say, Kato. If you're looking for frilly roses and kisses on balconies framed by the beautiful frostback mountains, look elsewhere. Riding the bull is enthusiastically grabbing both horns. But while you're safe, you may not feel loved. Not at first. But before the final battle, when Corypheus gets his darkspawn ass yeeted into the next world... The bull has come to love you. He's come to understand what love means and how he needs it and how he needs you. Mm, that was good, Kadan. Oh, I needed that. Mm, my pleasure. Well, maybe some of it's yours. I'm a better man for having met you, Kadan. I just hope this made things a little easier on your end. You did. And no matter what happens, if we don't make it out of this... Kato, stop. I can't. We are coming out of this alive. Together. <sighs> That's so sad. I hate, like, that he uses the word, and when you haven't this whole time, allegedly, you know, like, you haven't said it, but, I don't know, using it in that context makes it so sad, <laughs> So, you know, this romance has been going on for at least months, if not a year, during the whole time of Inquisition. 
as touching as this scene is, I don't think it represents true love just yet, which is fine. It's not anything from the Inquisitors. It's all from Bull's side. Bull clearly thinks that while he cares for the Inquisitor, this time was still just giving what the Inquisitor, giving the Inquisitor what they needed. Like he says, I, I just hope this made things a little easier on your end. What started out as a ploy to get closer to the Inquisitor for intel purposes has now ended with what? He doesn't know yet. Bull defaults back to what he does know. Usefulness. Purpose. Despite feeling genuine emotions for this person that has been a sex partner for all these months, sex and love don't mix under the cune. Love isn't even a thing at all. He still isn't quite there, I think, but only in his own mind. Like, he hasn't come to accept that what he feels is love because he's just such a foreign concept to him. But he is showing his love to the Inquisitor in his own way. Yeah, I think that's... That's what it is for me. He's showing love the way that he knows how. Being useful. Doing the things like me as the Inquisitor needs that release. I don't have the release valve. You know, I've got to be the one always in perfect control, making the decisions that affect thousands, if not the entire fucking world. I just need somebody to take that control away from me. And Bull is there to deliver that relieve all the stress, all the burden, everything that I have to walk around with on my shoulders all day. And somebody who loves me is able to take that away, at least for a little while. This next clip, though, is at the end. Hey, Kadan. I know we talked, but you got a minute before you do your big thing. <laughs> you almost always last longer than a minute, Bull. <laughs> You've stood strong against everything. Never flinched. You are the toughest, wisest, most beautiful person I've ever met, Kadan. And I can't tell you how proud I'm gonna be watching you out there, addressing the whole Inquisition with this big old love bite on your neck. You ass. The, the, the moans may be a little, um, uh, a little much, but, uh, yeah, the growling, that, that's, that's, that's a thing. And I don't think he actually gives you a hickey. I don't, because he nuzzles at your neck for a moment, but then he, you say, you ass, and he pulls away and just goes in for a kiss instead. I don't know. I don't know, V. I love him. He calls it a love bite. <laughs> I think it's I think it's happening. Before I like talk too much about my quick final thoughts because we still got a little bit more to do. I want to do this next clip which takes place in Trespasser DLC, which if you forgot, is 2 years past the end of Inquisition, so they have been together for at least two years, if not possibly closer to three at this point when this clip happens. So, Bull, we've been together a few years now. You ever think of going further? 
I don't see how we can top that night we did it with you hanging from the chandelier. I, uh, that's not really what I... You're my Kadan. That's a choice I make every day. I don't need to be bound to it. But if you like the binding, then when this is over, we'll make it official. However you like. Yeah. It's a choice I make every day. I love that. So you wake up and you have the choice. I choose consent. I choose to say kato. I choose to love you. He makes it every day. And if he wants to be permanently bound when it's over, he'll make it official. <sighs> I get stuck on the I don't want to be bound to it line, though. Because it's like the, the no, choice. No, it's not I don't is, want. It's I don't need. Or I don't need to be bound to it. That's right. You're right. Key phrasing. It is. <sighs> I guess it's just weird to like, he's so full of contradictory beliefs from like being like being a cune follower for the majority of his life and yet being so inclusive with his chargers where even just creme being trans like having that kind of identity is not useful in the cune so for him to just be like oh yeah it's fine like he like even with cassandra he kind of in his head assigns her the gender of man because he sees like in the under the cune roles are very gender specific mm -hmm. and he sees like a soldier as a man even if it's not actually a man and like in cassandra's case but then he defends krem's gender identity even though it doesn't really matter for the pur purpose of like being a soldier as far as the kune is concerned like he sees someone in armor and he's like oh it's a man but then if you question krem's manhood to him he really defends it so it's like he's got these identity things going on where it's contradictory and i think it's the same with with this where it's like he i don't know i guess he, he says i don't need to be bound to the choice and i wonder if that's just because he has a choice for once like he doesn't want it to be a promise but i mean it's, it's reassuring that he says he chooses it every day i guess but it still doesn't scream like i mean his past screams commitment just weird wording i guess i think it's like i said just coming from the cune where like he had no choices before so yeah. then one way the romance is actually more of an escape for bull as long as your chargers lived than it is for the inquisitor you know what i mean yeah so do we want to go through what can happen at the end of trespasser yeah, this is what we've been hinting at this whole time. Like all this, these two clips are entirely contingent on whether you save the Chargers or not. If you saved the Chargers, this clip will happen during the Trespasser DLC when the what's her name? Um, I can't remember the Kunari word for like the lady that's telling him to to fight you, to turn right. on you. You know, I don't know. We just have her listed as Kuhn bitch in the notes. So we'll keep yeah, it. Yeah, I, listen, oh, I called her Kuhn bitch. Oh, uh, Vidsala. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When she's telling Bull to turn on you, this is what he'll say if you did save the Chargers. Hisrat, now, please. Venekatas. Not a chance, ma'am. Yeah. 
So that's a good one. And that's if you've fully and completely romanced Bull, that you've saved his chargers, uh, you did his personal quest lines and missions, and he's good. Now, if you don't do that, you get a very, very different reaction. You can still have romanced Bull the entire game, declared your love, given him the dragon's tooth. And once he is told to attack, here we go. Hisrat, now, please, the Nekakas! Understood, ma'am. Change of plans. Nothing personal. Bas. Yeah, and can you imagine if for three years, or at least two, you've slept with this person, like, given over your entire trust because like bdsm relationships are built on trust and respect and obviously consent so you've had all these crazy new amazing intense feelings and experiences with this person just for him to coldly turn his back on you you realizing with an icy grip on you that he has been lying to you the entire time nothing you had was real and it's shocking (laughs) like it's it's honestly horrible that's like the worst thing that could possibly happen yeah and people come for me about solace being a liar like okay guys hopefully you saved the chargers and did not get this experience with bull but he has the propensity to be or the potential to be very much of a liar like the most convincing one out of any of the romance options that can lie to you oh yeah for sure Um, I also continued watching through this and saw what was going on. And if if once you like your inquisitor starts talking, he goes, I never saw this coming. Kato, Kato, like Inky starts safe wording that he can't handle this. Um, the version that I watched is male, so I hear yeah. it as the male in my mind. Yeah. Um, and then as with a Dorian romance as well, he's like, all these years in my bed, and never once did I think he'd turn his back on me. Uh, yeah. I guess that's what Kunari truly are. And so it com- it solidifies the Kunari to Vinter battle in Dorian's mind, too. Mm-hmm. So it is so totally fucked. Yeah, and then Cole will say... That he never got any hint of an emotion about that. So it's like he was so detached, so immersed in the Kuhn's belief that he felt nothing doing that to you. Which is also a horrible realization. And I also I wonder if that's also like Cole didn't feel any of the I'm willing to betray up until that moment. You know, I think yeah. I can go about yeah. I felt nothing then and I felt nothing before. So it puts it, it, it's really, really interesting because none, none of the other romances have this duality in them where it's like that one choice completely changes the trajectory and you don't even realize the consequences to your mistakes until years in the future. Like yeah. that's the kind of long game Bull's playing, which is why, like, especially initially when he's still loyal to the Kuhn and he's very very tactful like it's it's like everything is so coordinated and thought out to manipulate you at first mm-hmm. and then as your relationship progresses he learns to trust and love 
but it starts from a very murky and unethical place. Ah, the trauma holder. I can heal you. Yep. This is why he is my man. I heal him through the power of physical touch, love, affection, trust, submission, everything. Everything I have to offer. You are not the only one who rode the bull. We have a guest tonight. Someone who I have known for, gosh, 14 years almost. And we bonded over Dragon Age. And that is my best friend, Eileen, who will tell anyone who will listen how much she loves the Iron Bull. And so now you guys are going to listen to why she loves the Iron Bull. (laughs) Welcome, best friend, Eileen. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Eileen! I brought a souvenir, which I think V, you gave to me years ago for like Christmas or something. But I got this here Iron Bull poster, this Inquisition thing. There we go. And get that light on it. (laughs) Yep. Because I loved him so much. I still do. But it's been a very long time since I played the game. Yep. (laughs) She knows me very well. Tell us your origin story about how you came to love Dragon Age Inquisition and Dragon Age in general. Okay, so it started with Origins, um, no pun intended, (laughs) and uh, Romance Alistair first. And then from that point on, like, it's just been snowballing. I'm one of those people who will pre-order Dragon Age, every Bioware game that comes out. Even though I shouldn't pre-order things, I that's that's the franchise that I do, that I do, and hope for the best. <laughs> um, what else? Um, oh, so sorry. What was the question? Origins Who's story? your Dragon okay. Age two? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. said you played Origins. You went to Dragon mm-hmm. Age two. Who did you romance in two? Uh, Fenris actually and I went in thinking I'd romance Anders because I loved him in Awakening so much Mm -hmm. and then I was actually I used to be part of the Bioware social network before it got closed down and I remember they had announced Anders and everyone was so excited and then one of the devs it might have been David Gator I don't remember but one of them was like hey Anders but just remember people change and I still remember that post (laughs) (laughs) so also about Dragon Age 2, my sister and I, who we went to boot camp in December of 2010, a couple months before Dragon Age 2 came out because it came out spring 2011. I'll never forget because most of the mail I got in boot camp was from Eileen. Literally, she printed out news about Dragon Age 2 on this parchment looking paper and like burned the edges to make it look like weathered scrolls for us and we had to open all mail in front of the rdc's like the petty officers there running the division and like this burnt scroll looking stuff like comes out of this envelope and they're like what the fuck is this like cadet or whatever they call this sailor i don't remember assholes what they called my sister and we were like oh sorry it's our best friend um it's about dragon age (laughs) i'll never forget made boot camp fun I remember, I remember writing those up and being all excited about it. <laughs> Back I still have them. <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, I Dang. do. I'll never get rid of them. That's cool. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And then what happened with Inquisition? What, so it, how did you know it was going to be the bull? So I went into it thinking it was going to be Cullen, actually, because like I played all the games and I thought Cullen was a cool character. And I was so happy that like he's going to be in this third game and play a bigger role. And then I met Bull and he starts talking about redheads and how much he likes redheads. And I'm over here as a redhead. And I'm like, oh, excuse me. Oh, shoot. All right. And we're looking and I'll have a conversation. And then it kind of, you know, went from there. I almost went with Blackwall, though, because I liked him quite a bit, too. And I'm so glad I didn't do that. I also almost sacrificed the Chargers. I didn't because when I first do my first playthrough of a game, I like to play it as like myself. Like what decisions would I make in this situation? But I also try to role play as a character a bit. And I'm like, you know, if I was the Inquisitor, I feel like I would have to put the Alliance first over friends because it sucks. But probably what a ruler would do. And I was also reading Game of Thrones a lot of the time. So. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do that to him. I can't do that to him. That decision is right up there of like things I can't do is up there with like can't give Fenris to Daenerys. I can't not even not even to save it and see what happens. I just can't I can't click that button. And that's how the charges are for me. Thank God. Because <laughs> if I had gotten that trespasser ending, I don't think I'd ever be the same again. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. And especially if somebody who played it when it first came out and then had to wait, like, probably, what, like, a, at least a year or two for Trespasser, yeah. the DLC, mm -hmm. to come out. And then going, oh, my God, my bull, I get to ride him again. And then you come to find out he's calling you boss. And I'm like, no. Ooh, tell me your fact about boss versus boss while I, you know, lament over the fact that I romance Solus and had... A very different trespasser experience than you guys. Oh, so okay. it's, I it's guess, just, sorry. sorry. Uh, we should also explain for a second there that uh, what he, what Iron Bull calls you outside of the bedroom is boss, B O S S, because you are the boss of the Inquisition. And then in that final clip that we played, where he completely betrays you, he calls you boss, B A S. Eileen, please explain. Well, it kind of makes me wonder, like the game hid it from you the whole time. This is assuming you let the Chargers die, that he may be calling you boss, B-A-S, the whole time. But the game doesn't spell it that way. And obviously he's, he's not really pronouncing it that way, but that could be the tone behind it. And then when he finally betrays you, the subtitle reveals it as boss. And it's just it's another freaking just nail in that everything was alive for people who don't speak Kunlat, why is that important boss. Uh, they kind of go into a more in dragon age 2 or a boss is like just not a follower like beneath the kyun anyone who's not part of the kyun is obviously like lower than dirt to them so if he's if he is calling you boss the whole time it's just like it puts a very insidious spin on the romance if the chargers are sacrifice and that's kind of part of why i like the, the romance so much because it can be two different ways it can be very loving and support well kind of loving supportive or it can just be this illusion he's created and it's just it's wild so is boss like muggle <laughs> no it literally means 
thing, like someone with no purpose. So like like Eileen said, lower than dirt, completely useless. This is an insult for sure. And like also when I was because I didn't realize that he would betray you if the Chargers died. Like I just never realized that because I I would never kill Krem. I love Krem. So when I found that out, I was like, holy shit, like this kind of reminds me of a lot of these Baldur's Gate 3 romances. I'm not going to spoil it because I know you're playing it right now, Eileen, but there's usually a lot of the care, the, the romanceable companions have like two outcomes depending on one single choice in their personal quest. And the romances are so very different and so very affected by those different choices in a way that I thought hadn't really been done as dire as that but iron bull is that way for sure like it is not a good romance if the chargers die yeah seriously but um do you remember or sorry are there anything that we missed that you know i mean like okay guys eileen was literally sending me screenshots of world of thetis like <laughs> to, to write the script for bull so i don't think she learned anything new but we shall see no i learned new things um i'm, I'm looking at i I put notes. <laughs> um, I learned some new things, especially about the tarot cards. I know nothing about tarot at all. So actually, every time you guys go into the tarot stuff, I find it very, very interesting. Um, like with Solus, <clears throat> in the last episode, when you talked about how his romance card faces the Levelons card, I'm like, it does? <laughs> I actually went and Googled it. I'm like, oh God, it does. And so when you were kind of going into like how he holds the skull above like part of his eye and it's facing the cute inside like and then also he's holding the coin bag in that same hand i never noticed that before i thought that was really cool that was also my phone background for like years because i just thought it looked cool <laughs> i had no idea there was like all this hidden meaning behind it like when the chargers die and you just see all the dead kunari everywhere i'm just like oh well that's very sad i didn't see anything positive about it other than just like it's a very tragic time in his life it's bittersweet Ugh. yeah but <clears throat> i felt the same way too because it was like when i saw all the kunari just like at his feet dead and just like and he looked so sad about it i was like i picked the wrong thing but it's my first playthrough yeah. so i can't go back because it's not how i play games yeah a lot of people don't know that the tarot cards are actually lined up with actual tarot cards they're not just art pieces and then if you're just looking at them as like a cool art thing to look at when you kill the chargers that card doesn't look bad it doesn't really look happy but you're like okay well he's like marching with other canari and that's what we did we made an alliance so yay but it's a horrible card <laughs> it represents bad things and then when you save the chargers, it looks like you made a real bad mistake. You're like, oh my god, there's blood everywhere. His hands are covered in blood. Like, it's horrible looking. Everything but is then, covered then, in blood. Then you get that romance card, then, and then it's, then it's fine. You don't have to look yeah. at it anymore. You know, I think it's actually interesting, too, that, like, he references bondage so much. And, like, in his romance card, there's rope tying the two of them together, which is symbolic and also kinky. And then all, I don't know if anyone else got this i can't remember the name of that little dlc pack but it's like you could get that kunari armor and weapons and the armor 
for the female body is like super ropey. What is that? The Japanese art of tying ropes. It looks like that. You know what it's called? Shibari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the armor looks like that. So I'm like, also just Kunari, they're good at tying knots, I guess. I don't know. Very artfully. I know what armor you're talking about too. I think I picked it and like recolored it so it matches my Inquisitor better. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, red ropes are mm. the preferred color. Oh, shit. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, crap. Well, I guess we can, free. we can move on to the next question of, are there any key factors that we missed? Anything that would have brought more depth to this romance? Other than the fact that we know he can go deep. Um, not so much miss. Um, maybe just a bit more emphasis on what bull and the inquisitor kind of do for each other i mean jen you you actually went into it like i made the note about it and then you kind of went into it about how the inquisitor is this person who has just like this soul crushing responsibility like i can't imagine having to make decisions like the one the inquisitor has to do like whether to let the mages die or the templars die and everyone's gonna hate you on one side of it you know, there's there's no pleasing everybody in that role. And then the Inquisitor's able to just shut the door and just not have to think about it for a few minutes. Like, Bull alleviates that, takes the control from them. And I think you explained that really well. There's another scene, though, that happens right after their first romance scene in which Liliana is about to approach the Inquisitor with, like, more shit to do. And Bull is just like, no, let her rest. And just, yeah. like, protects her, them. Um, and uh, by proxy, the Inquisitor, this is assuming you let the Chargers live, the Inquisitor helps bring out the best in what Bull is and all the best aspects of him that have been weaponized and used and abused by the Kuhn. Like, he can also be himself with the Inquisitor. So, I think it's sweet. <laughs> It is. It is very, very sweet. And, you know, it's it's hard for me to try and explain what that is truly like to somebody who just straight up will never understand it. Like, V, I totally get it from your point of view where it's like you don't get you don't understand it. And it's like for me, I can very easily slip into the mindset of this where there is the power play of the dominant, the submissive and what those roles look like, what that feels like and why that would be something a person would want. But I also completely understand that it's just not for you. No, when he's like calling you Kadan and and being really, I mean, like genuinely vulnerable with you. If you save the chargers, um, like I like that. I, I like he's a great character and all that, but like there's, there's too much, I guess for me that there's not enough romantic bits to balance out like his playful, just like dirty trash talking that he just does really openly. I'm a little bit more like Dorian. Okay. Like I probably would love him if he were real, but. I, I would have a hard time being so open about things like that. And, and I would know, I've, I have no experience with any of that, but like, I, I'm like Dorian in that I want like, you know, a fairy tale, like monogamous love. And, and there's so many times when I was doing the script for this, where people were like, Oh, I never ever considered the iron bull until I started talking to him because visually he doesn't look 
like that sort of person and he doesn't come off as that sort of person either at first but you know there is that there if you save the chargers that's a really contingent on all of that yes well we are a romance podcast so let's assume for the rest of the night that we did save the chargers yeah honestly yeah i agree it's kind of like when you make the decision with the chargers or not you're basically choosing to kill his rod or kill the iron bull I loved the way that you put that in the notes, because that is like the single biggest fact. You know, you're not choosing to kill the Kunar, the Dreadnought or the Chargers. You're choosing to kill Hisrod or the Iron Ball. All right. Um, You have written more notes than any other guest we have had on this show. I appreciate the fuck out of it. Thank you. I did want to touch on something that you put on here because I had a very visceral reaction to Vivian. And I think we need to talk about this. I hated her. Most people hate her because she's like, oh my God, Vivian's such a bitch. Or like, I just don't understand her or just like all of this stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't like her because he makes or she makes my man drop into submissive roles, and I don't like it. But apparently you didn't mind that? No, I didn't, because I kind of see it as an act. Um, you know, he, he tailors his behavior depending on who he's talking to. So, like, with Sarah, they're talking, like, battle plans. I'll pick you up and throw you or stand on my shoulders, and we'll be a, what did he call it? I forget, but just like he talks, he makes jokes with her. And and then with Cassandra, he talks shop with her and Solace, he'll play mind chess with him, which is another amazing thing. Like, I don't know anybody who can play like chess just in your brain. And then with Vivian, she ain't going to, she ain't going to put up with that (laughs) with his dominant nature. So he needs to tailor himself to get along with her. And I just think it's hilarious. I, I mean, I love Vivian. I actually love like how confident and powerful and just how she don't give two shits. <laughs> I love that about her. And I think I think Bull does too in his in his own way. And he tailors himself to be able to be cohesive with that. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's all it is. It's like he's once again just giving people what they need because that's all he knows how to do. And that's why I like the romance, because it redeems that quality in him. It was, it starts pure when he's a child, you know. They even say in the World of Thetis book that he's, like, taking care of the younger kids than him when he's being raised. But, like, the Kune turns it into something foul and twisted and makes him, his true nature is not manipulative and deceitful. But he was trained to be that way. And I think you can see that his true nature is that way because he pulls away from the Kuhn at every opportunity. Like, he's the worst Kunari, the follower of the Kuhn. So I think it's, it should be canon that he becomes Talvashoth, you know? So works out oh, for yeah. him. I also love Vivian. I, although I will say like if I were someone watching this like objectively and seeing how different he is with everyone, that reads very untrustworthy to me. Like why are you changing yourself so much? But I think it's just a habit he can't force himself out of so soon. 
yeah, yeah. probably very hard to turn off for him. It's just kind of part of it's like ingrained in him now. So, yeah, so, there's that. And then like for me with my Gemini attitude and my switchiness and everything that I am, I'm like, all right. If this person needs this from me, I can be that for them. If you need me to be the outgoing extrovert who will be the flamboyant one to talk about anything and everything, I can be that for you. If you need me to bring down my level to where I can be chill and calm and sit with you and we'll have that delicate conversation, I can be that person too. If you need me to give you mothering techniques or things that I went through with my kid, I can be that. Or if you need me to figure out what it is you truly desire, I can do that. Yep. And I, I think it also plays into like, he, he calls himself a people person. And I think that stems from how much he does actually care about people. Like he's able to get along with literally anybody because he likes people so much and because he cares it's just the cute kind of weaponizes that mm -hmm. so at heart i think he's a good guy yeah i do too he uses his powers for good also i love the when i know it's not like exactly the greatest half the time with dorian and iron bull but i did see like the picture for the epilogue of if Dorian and him were romanced and he goes and rescues Dorian and he's like carrying him bridal style. It's so, it's so cute. I yeah. love it. Oh, also another thing about Inquisition. I think I, I remember I was going to say this, not Inquisition, Trespasser, where it's like you literally killed your lover of three years and there's no cutscene. There's no nothing. It's just party banter. Like, yes, very sad. Anyway, like, I yeah. hated that. Even though it didn't happen to me, it broke my heart. Like, I, oh, if it did happen to me my first playthrough, I would be very upset. Like, nothing. Not even, like, a quick nothing. I mean, the, the party banter was, you know, the voice acting and stuff is superb, and thank goodness. But, yeah, that kind of, I felt like it, the Iron Bowl romance got a little shafted yeah. in that regard. Especially what you soulless mancers get at the end, goodness. <laughs> we do get a lot of extra stuff in Trespasser. So I agree, like, seeing as they added that in, I mean, the Kunari plot is just as important to that DLC as finding Solus. So I definitely think that should have been expanded on. I mean, it's fine that he didn't say anything more because... If he's betraying you, it's just the straightforwardness of the cune, like his switch being flipped, whatever. But like your character should have said something like you aren't that way. You should have mourned visibly for a, a bit rather than just no, Kato. And that's it. Like, I also was kind of disappointed. I don't know if you felt this way, Elaine, but I was disappointed with the stairwell line. Everybody that, I mean, other than Solus, that we have been able to analyze so far has gotten this beautiful declaration at the bottom of the stairwell before you go through the last alluvion, where it's like, 
we've been together for, I, you know, I wouldn't change any of the past few years um, leading up into this moment. And, you know, like Dorian calls you a bastard and I don't, I don't remember what everybody else does. Heartfelt moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's like, oh, damn it, you bloody bastard! I knew you'd break my heart. I think is yeah. what he says. And, and yeah, Bull just goes, is- "I love you," and that's it. Like it's literally just the one <laughs> line of "I love you too, Kadan," and then that's it. Yep, I know. I guess they, they think we'll be content with the, or he sides with you from, with the Kunari. They're like, well, they get, they get that cutscene. They'll be fine. They don't need more than that. I guess. Context is key. Okay. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of context, I guess, did we do this romance justice, Aline? Do you agree with our thoughts? Um, I don't agree with, I don't agree with yours, V, my goodness. <laughs> no, I think you guys did it very good. The, the contrasting opinions, I think, made for a very good episode. Yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching it and hearing about it. And I have a kindred spirit in Jen. And hopefully I can meet her in person someday. Oh, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you guys did it justice. And I had a lot of fun being here. Now, had you done full multiple playthroughs of this game, or were you a one-time ride the bull girl and done? Well, no, I've ridden the bull twice. And I played Inquisition, I think I have like five playthroughs. I did one with Solus, one with Cullen, two with Iron Bull. Oh, and I did one with Cass. So, yeah. Um, So Bull was the first one, and then I played other playthroughs throughout there was like i think the first year it came out i probably played it like three times all the way through as i loved it so much um and then i have to do my canon playthrough now that i know what all the choices do and i want to make sure these choices transfer over to the next game i did my canon playthrough with my trevelyan and romance bowl because he is my canon romance for that game all day i fully agree and if an Iron Bull pillow ever comes out from the Bioware <laughs> store, uh, we'll we'll buy it for each other. Yeah, sure. Oh, it was another thing I, I think I could mention. I think it does put a different spin when you romance him as a mage, um, which I don't typically do. But you know, he comes from a culture in which they they have the Cerebos and how they treat those mages. So. It's almost almost as good as romancing Cullen as a mage, but not not quite. But it has that little context there where you challenge his beliefs a bit. And I think there's also a good story behind it if you romance him just as Trevelyan, who comes from the noble background, like warrior or rogue. It's like you can roleplay as like you had all these standards to live up to, and now you're hanging out with this mercenary captain. Like, <laughs> this is your boo. Aren't your parents proud? I have one question before we do final thoughts for Mio, because it's something that my husband, who's also a redhead, but it doesn't affect him at all because he didn't romance the bull. But like he had a big problem with the fact that you pay for the chargers to be there. He thinks it's shitty. So it's like, is there a conflict of interest? I mean, obviously there's power dynamics going on with you as the Inquisitor with any of your romance options, but specifically you are paying the chargers and I'm wondering, does, do you pay for their services the entire time? 
does that add like a weird prostitution layer to this or like how do we feel about paying for them to be there all right let's go back to that question of did you did you learn something new eileen tonight no i never thought about it that way before but now i kind of am huh i assume you pay them the whole time or maybe when shit really hits the fan maybe they're like nah we're we're just we're part of the inquisition now i don't think they really go into it after the first conversation you have with him yeah i don't know that's interesting i don't i don't think there's a power dynamic that's too weird or anything person that way (laughs) no i don't think so either because if i remember correctly you have a little bit of a conversation with him saying that you're paying for the chargers yet the iron bowl is exclusively for your disposal as part of your team in the inquisition of, you know, of your party members. So you're paying for the upkeep of his men. Yes, but not for him. So you're not paying him. He's the head of the chargers. So I don't see why the money wouldn't go to him too. But I mean, okay, this is just my past life as an HR person coming out. I was like, maybe this is unethical, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it really matters in a like, medieval feudal-esque society you know plus you might be paying him but he's the one tying you up who really has the power from the chandelier baby from the (laughs) chandelier insert sia swing from the chandelier (laughs) came in like a wrecking ball yeah i um just thought it was interesting that you're paying him but or the chargers whatever i don't know if that adds anything take with that information what you will okay i mean give us your final thoughts at least for now because we're probably gonna be snapchatting about bull for two days after this <laughs> if not more yeah i'll be snapchatting be like oh my god i should have said this um final thoughts on on the on what on the on tonight or just the romance in general or oh, bull romance he's a character that very much subverts your expectations and i think that's what drew me to him other than the redhead thing because let's be honest once he said that i'm like well no i have to what the heck um but he subverts expectations you see him as this big giant meathead looking dude and he turns out to be probably one of the most like intelligent companions you have like yeah it's pretty wild so and also you guys are awesome that's my thoughts on on tonight oh uh-huh. thank you <laughs> yeah he has an impressive brain in between those two impressive horns so it's pretty cool he's good at everything it's not fair maybe he's a little bit of a gary stew then i guess we put him that way he's got <laughs> he's tall he's got muscles he's smart yeah he's the also he's he everyone like falls over head over heels for him constantly and he's like so scarred and and disfigured in some ways with one eye and he's also kunari which most people are terrified of but he's not just any kunari he's this eight foot tall giant horned monster looking guy and yet everyone is like obsessed with him like all you walk around the keep and everyone's just like oh wow i can't walk straight today we now know why because 18.25 inches or whatever 18.5 18. sorry i don't want to take 
0.25 inch from him because you know he needs all of it right yeah so all that's going on and then he'll he'll like tie himself to you literally figuratively and you're the apple of his eye after that so it's got to feel special God, there are so many more things that I wish we truly could get into about the fact that he won't sub to you, but he'll sub to other people. Um, there's the dynamic of just like, and then what it's like to romance him as a male inquisitor brings a different tone to a lot of different things and conversations because, I mean... There's that on top of it as well. And then the Colin moments and then the Sarah moments. And then there's another Cole moment that we didn't get to at all. Or Cole beautifully breaks down exactly what it's like to be in a BDSM relationship. But then you take away all the magic and you spoil it. Like you've got to leave it up to the imagination, Cole. Oh, I wish... I could do a whole secondary episode on just the aspects of what it's like to be in this type of dynamic. And maybe that will be for a super secret special episode on like a much later date where V can't be here for the night. Or it'll be an AMA session. We will do a AMA gen. <laughs> Go through it. Yeah. All my answers for that would be, I don't know. I don't know. So I couldn't be there. Well, you could be the one asking the questions. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll do that. On a night where we don't want to do any scripting. We'll um, do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to next week because I've been scripting for like five weeks straight now. I feel like something like that. I'm tired. <laughs> I think that that might be a good spot for us to wrap it up for the night, though, because again... Uh, our two, we saved the best two episodes for the last of our Dragon Age and we have been recording for two hours <laughs> again this um, can't be longer than Solus. <laughs> um, I'm sorry it is definitely longer uh, than Solus. you got one more audio clip too Eileen I, I did that for you I do? what? yeah you got yeah. one more audio clip than Solus's episode this was 12 and Solus had 11 um, I thought you were going to play another clip for me. Now I'm oh, excited. No, no oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> Just imagine his voice in your head. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. Iron Bull got 12 clips at 7 minutes, 42 seconds total. Um, I think Solus might have gotten a little bit more time. Less He's clips, wordy. more time. He is wordy. That's what I wanted to say about Hewnlot, too, is like, it's a context-based language. They use the same word for lots of different things. So that was another thing with the Kadan. Like, when he actually loves you, it could mean heart. But if he doesn't actually love you, it just means the center of your chest, like the actual physical location. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. So it doesn't have to be a pet name. Maybe it's a, it's a retcon, but Sten in Dragon Age Origin origins can call the warden Kadan as well if you're friends enough with him so when i first heard bull say it i was just like are we are we just very good friends or oh no this means yeah. we're, you're, i'm your heart okay well, what was Sten saying back close. then 
No, I don't know. That's what it said on the Dragon Age wiki, which isn't always right, as World of Thetis proved. That's where I was getting most of my information from Iron Bull, and I need to get me World of Thetis books. I don't have them yet. I got, sorry, I have cat fur all over my face, and it's bothering me. <laughs> but yeah. Where? Yeah. I'm all right. We should not probably even end gonna the touch reel. that. Yep. 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 Eileen, before we completely, truly wrap up the show, is there anything that you want to shout out or plug? Nope, not really. I don't have any kind of presence at all anywhere. I'm just a, I'm just a very lucky friend who was able to come on tonight and talk about her favorite character. So, yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, on our Twitch chat, so you are Eileen backwards. Yeah, I was trying to make my name kind of clever, and I was going to be like Eileen sideways, but that wasn't going to work. So it's Eileen backwards, sure. <laughs> If you like what you've been hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. Check out Scyther Audio's newest fan-made production, The Avengers, the audio drama, where you can find me and several of our good friends. And you can reach me in our Two Girls One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Our theme music was composed by the ever talented Pipe Man Studios and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.